Welcome to Bitcoin Fixes This, where we explore the impact that Bitcoin will have in all aspects of society. Today's guest is Cryptography, Bitcoin artist extraordinaire. We talk about art, how he got into Bitcoin art in particular, and the effect of fiat money on our current generation of artists. Cryptography also tells us about his life before Bitcoin, how he sees his role as an activism artist, and the purpose of art itself. If you don't know Cryptography, you've still probably seen his Bitcoin-related art. I really like the way he gets people to think about the symbols that pervade the fiat monetary system and cast them in a different light. This interview helped me understand the importance of symbols, expression, and the emotional connection which fuel a lot of movements like Bitcoin. I hope you can understand a bit more about Bitcoin the movement through this interview. Cryptography, how's everything going? How's it going, Jimmy? Uh, it's going great. I think you're out in California. How are things over there? It's going okay. Yeah. You know, there's on and off lockdowns, but I was talking to my significant other recently. We both work from home and cook a lot normally. So the biggest change is just not seeing family and friends with all this going on. Uh, but otherwise, mm. it's kind of keep on keeping on. Yeah. I keep seeing people that are moving from there. So it's... Uh... It's kind of, uh, yeah, I can't imagine being in that area of the country. It just feels so like crazy over there. But anyway, I mean, we're here to talk about art and everything else. You know, how did you get into art yourself? And like, you know, what's been your career like been like so far? Sure. So I came to art later in life and it timed with when I got into Bitcoin. I've always been creative and I would do art projects just on the side Sometimes like if it was functional, like if I needed a, a coffee table or something, I would make one. I was a class away from minoring in it, but I come from a family of artists. So I have successful artists in the family and my mom's a docent. And so I've been surrounded by it and seen the positives and negatives of the space. But yeah, so career-wise, I went from doing sales and biz dev stuff at startups to at Apple headquarters before realizing that it really wasn't for me. And then I, I went off and did my own startup like everyone else in San Francisco. And that's when I found found Bitcoin. What was that like? So you were in sales and doing you know the typical startup stuff, but then you got into Bitcoin. So tell us that story. When did you get in and, and how'd that happen? Sure. So there's the whole like how you were introduced to Bitcoin and then like the life experiences that led you to be open to to mm -hmm. Bitcoin when you finally did discover it. And for me, I think a lot of it goes back to just not really fitting in with school because I have auditory processing issues. And so being told early on that you don't, you know, you need to do things a certain way when they just don't come naturally to you, breads like questioning of authority early on, I think. And then later on in college, I had experiences where there was an incident that only recently I started talking about, but it did shape my life considerably. And then also uh, made me much more open to Bitcoin. And I had like a violent incident in where someone attacked a roommate and myself in our dorms, trying to get money and drugs from us. And this is something where in present day, it wouldn't even be an issue with the more lax drug laws. But you know, back then it was very draconian and, you know, 20 years from now, it'll be 
laughed at, you know, the, some of the, the repercussions that people are facing for having drugs. But what happened was really severe. And then in the ensuing court case, there was civil asset forfeiture involved. And so that led me to look at the authorities in a different light too, because even after the, the court case was dropped, they just kept the money. <laughs> so I was primed to to discover Bitcoin and see why there was like a deeper reason for it when eventually I came across it. So I was working on a startup and the developer asked to be paid in Bitcoin and I didn't know what it was. This is back in late 2011, much to his chagrin, I didn't pay him in Bitcoin, but I couldn't figure out how to do it. I looked into it and it seemed really complex. And I did want to make him something as like a thank you for helping me with the startup. And so he was big into RC planes and, and Bitcoin. And so I tried to draw this, like a Bitcoin logo with a propeller. And then when I saw that there's all these different logos for Bitcoin, I thought, you know, this thing's never going to work because <laughs> they can't even get on the same page with branding. I didn't even really know much about like decentralization at the time. So it became one of these things where, especially living in San Francisco, where kind of like when you need a car, you're in the market for a car and you start seeing it everywhere. I would just hear about Bitcoin and you can't go to a cafe and not just overhear people talking about the latest and greatest tech wise in, in the city. So it would come up. And then I was also reading Wired at the time. And so I came across the Rise and Fall article in Wired mm. and then also Silk Road articles where they were uh, disparaging about the marketplace. But to me, it seemed like there were some positives to it, too. So, yeah, the big like rabbit hole moment for me was later in 2012, I came across Hashcash. And so I, I already kind of got like the big picture and why it was important. And the permanence of it really stuck with me because in, in SF, in San Francisco, there's, you know, a million different startups that come and go. But this idea that you couldn't stop Bitcoin was really intriguing. And then... Yes, overtaking banks. And it was just a huge idea when I'm, I was in a sea of different ideas. And so the thing that really made it hit home was Hashcash and this idea of there being innovation that could happen at a micro level. And so things like thwarting email spam and, and DDoS attacks meant that maybe I could somehow get involved because I like ideas and I like things that are just brand new and can help people get paid in, in unique ways. And yeah, I'm just, it just, for lack of a better term, I'm kind of like an ideas guy. And so uh, that was just mind blowing to me. And I remember like exactly where I was when I was reading it in this 600 square foot apartment in on Valencia street in San Francisco. And I just stayed up all night and it kind of like felt like I was falling like down a rabbit hole. Cause I had this feeling in my stomach, like, Oh my gosh, everything's going to change for me now. And so I was up all night and then it just became a question of like, how do I transition into this? Because I really, really am inspired by it. So the startup was just kind of not doing so great. And then over the course of the next year or so, I, I phased out of that and then started phasing more into Bitcoin and thinking, okay, if I can figure out a way to get involved, I'm going to have a go at this. And then people had always said, you know, you should try something with art. And I did think that we would need artists and just in general, all different walks of life to get involved because, you know, art does help spread movements. And so I started doing some experimentations. I did some like street art with QR codes attached and different things to 
to just play around and get involved sort of on the periphery because I wasn't comfortable yet like assigning myself to the space. Like I, I didn't feel like I belonged. And so, yeah, eventually people took to that online and then that helped me start to want to experiment more. And several years later, here we are. <laughs> All right. So it sounds like you were interested in Bitcoin and then you sort of like brought the artistic side with you because that's where you thought you could sort of contribute. Like that's not a thought that most people would have is, uh, okay, well, there's this new thing and there's the skill that I'm not using. Maybe that those can like be somehow conjoined together. How did you like even come up with that that's you're in sales and doing startups and all of a sudden you're doing art for bitcoin like that transition seems a little bit sudden and it'd be interesting to find out exactly how that happened yeah i mean imagine that conversation with my parents where <laughs> i need to tell them that i'm going to be ripping up what you think is real money for magic internet money it really was just this thing where I believed in it so much. I saw a need for it. And big picture, I wanted to later on in life, raise kids in a better society. And I do think that Bitcoin is that. So it became a question of like, what could I offer? And I think mm. even though I wasn't doing a lot of art at the time, I think the stuff that I was doing resonated with people. And it was less a question of like, would people take to what I was doing? It was more just, you know, how can I best educate people through this and have it be less about like me and more about this movement. And because if there was someone like myself who was hesitant to get in because I didn't consider myself well-versed in economics and politics and in programming, there was going to be many other people. And what I didn't want to see happen was similar to what was happening with San Francisco, where a lot of the culture was leaving. There's really not much of a soul. It's more in the East Bay and, and beyond now because of this wealth gap issue that's under a microscope. And so I saw what was happening and, and what could happen if you know some people were being left behind. And I just felt like almost lucky to be where I was when I heard about it and wanted to just do what I could to get the word out. So, yeah, and it was just plain fascinating. So it really wasn't a question of like, you know, should I even attempt this? It was just like just so many different concepts that I wanted to to bring forth and show that there were ways for non-programmers to get involved and, and people who could see the benefit of this and them themselves could as well. So they really should be paying attention. Hmm. That's interesting that you bring up that you saw this as a movement and that you wanted to help people bring it in. And, and that's where you saw the art. So that brings up a question for me as to what the purpose of art is, because this is pretty controversial among artists that at least I've talked to. And, you know, they have ideas about art that, you know, some of them just sound completely nonsensical to me. But what you're saying sounds very much, it makes sense. It's about supporting the movement. It's not about yourself. Whereas for a lot of artists, it is about themselves, right? It's about their free expression or something like that. So can you speak to that a little bit? What is the purpose of art, in your opinion, and how does your art fit into the movement of Bitcoin? Yeah, so with activism art, I consider myself like an activism artist, an activist artist, and, and that makes it easier because there's this, this goal 
right? It's not so esoteric. There's something that you're trying to transmit. And then it there's a lot of overlap with things like marketing and advertising. And so it's more pointed. You know, I tend to steer clear of all the telegram groups with crypto art where they're talking about what exactly is art because I just have like all this stuff that I want to make and you can really go deep about what is art. And I think that's changing too, because so much is happening online and and who's to say that if art is ultimately meant to make people feel things, which I think a lot of people agree with and, and have emotions and act and then what's to say like memes aren't art, right? It's, it's <laughs> tough to really pinpoint and for one person, it's completely different than the next. A lot of people use the the barometer of like, could I make this as <laughs> art, and myself included sometimes because it's often it's like a grass is greener situation. You know, like I'm not the best oil painter, and so when I see a, an, an amazing oil painting, I'm like, oh man, that's really artistic. But yeah, so the lines are I think are blurring, and there's it's really tough to say like what specifically would one person consider art? It seems like there's so much that just shocks people nowadays. And then that, and really for attention, you know, like there's this book, Ken Jennings, the the Jeopardy champion mm-hmm. put out called Planet Funny. And his his angle is how if we're just overloaded with humor because we're getting hit with so much, so many different feeds and, and stimuli during the day, if everything's funny, then all of a sudden, things don't become funny anymore and people then gravitate towards shock in order to get some sort of reaction. And then that then becomes like kind of falls in the same category as art. If it's, if it's imagery because images now perform better due to the algorithms on social media, and then it's meant to shock, you know, what is it? Is it considered art? And so it's a tough one, but for me, what I like about having this focal point with Bitcoin is that it helps narrow the focus. And sometimes people will say like this digital thing, like how are you even like making work about it? But for me, it's just like an endless well of inspiration because it taps into so many different aspects of society, right? And there's some artists that that do Bitcoin art, which is different in my opinion than crypto art, who if they're just new and getting into the space, it might be more about the money, right? And so it might be chart related. And, and I think the longer that you stick around and the more you learn about the impact that this thing can have, then the art starts to have more depth too. So yeah, there's been a shift that's happened like before Ethereum, like we used to just call like Bitcoin art, crypto art. And then when Ethereum came around, it got kind of hijacked. There was an article that came out where the difference between crypto art that related to cryptocurrency and then crypto art that related to like verifiably rare art was just a space in the word. So it was either two words or one word. And that I think was like a an error because it it meant like people weren't going to differentiate and all the momentum was happening with Ethereum. And so crypto art is now uh, considered art that relates to, you know, it's, it's typically digital art or art that's verifiably rare. And this whole movement, which I think is the most fascinating and most powerful shift that's happened in in society in a long time has now kind of fallen by the wayside. But I think it's a good thing because it's solidifying and hardening the definition. And I think it should be Bitcoin art because I think it's very different than what's happening with these other chains. 
Mm. So you're suffering a little bit from the confusion of terms, like that scarce art, I guess, which, you know, I, admittedly, like artists have some trouble with because there are like duplicates and things like that. But that's a very different thing than what you're trying to bring, which is sort of understanding to this movement for people through art and sort of giving them maybe not like a head level, but at a heart level, what this whole thing is about. So what for you is the purpose? Like, what are you trying to, what sort of emotions are you trying to elicit? What sort of things do you hope that people get out of the art that you create that they would maybe help in this cause, help in this activism, as you said, of Bitcoin? Well, I'm just scared for our future with this debt-based financial system. And I think we're headed on a crash course and I want to get the word out about this alternative. And again, I don't want to bring children into this world when they're going to struggle a lot more than I did because of policies that are in place that just plain don't work. Mm. So I like that there's this activity happening with other chains and NFTs and artists are getting paid. But for me, What's most important is what I see as like the foundation of the pyramid, you know, the Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And I think Bitcoin addresses that. The rest is awesome if artists are getting paid and, and there's uh, innovative ways that they're approaching it. And, but that's not what it's about. For me, it's more about trying to like leave this earth in a better place and do what I can for something that I believe in. And Bitcoin is definitely that. Mm. Makes sense. So as you know, there's some criticism of modern art from Bitcoiners. And there's a term that I heard that which made a lot more sense to me after it was explained in an essay that I read recently. And it's this idea that uh, fiat money is something that represents itself, right? Like it, it used to represent gold, fiat currency. But after 1971, it's it's what they would call a simulacrum. It's something that is a copy without the original. It just represents itself and that's it. And if you think about sort of like the postmodern art movement where it stopped being essentially representational, you know, like paintings used to represent something, right? Like, you know, a scene of some religious significance or even, you know, like a fog and foggy uh, harbor or something like that. It was always of something. It was representational. But once it stopped being representational, like think, you know, Jackson Pollock painting or something like that, it started being more like fiat money. It's representing itself. It's a simulacrum. It's a copy without an original. And that to me, when I read that, I was like, this is literally what fiat art is. It's art that is sort of a copy of itself. It's inward looking. Whereas, you know, Real art, at least in my opinion, it should represent something or get you to think about something outside of itself. What do you think about this idea? And do you see this parallel between fiat money and fiat art? Oh, man. I like art that just is cutting edge and goes beyond just, say, like a portrait or a scene and art that has depth. And for me, artists like Ai Weiwei, people that are doing daring stuff where it moves beyond the canvas, even like just taking the mediums themselves. Like if traditional art is best and, and you think that paint on a canvas is, is it in the pinnacle, I just 
can't agree with it because there's just so much more to explore out there. And for me, it would just be boring to do that, right? Like there's art breaks down fourth walls. It pushes boundaries. And and that's especially with activism art, I think, important because you want people to take notice. And so the artists that really resonate with me are doing things that are that are bold and daring and and for lack of you know a better term, just like pushing the envelope. I don't like oftentimes you'll hear that for collectors' sake, like the advice to give artists that are on their way up is that you need to do things in a manner like where it's recognizable and it's known as yours and in things that are more beneficial for the collectors than the person, right? Than the artist and their expression. And for me, that's BS. And I don't hope people that have my work don't take this the wrong way, but you know, it's, I don't want to make work for them. I want to make work that inspires me and is, you know, that I want to wake up for and do, and it's not so that it can more easily be bought. So yeah, the advice that oftentimes young artists are given is compartmentalized in a way that makes it more commodified. And that is something also with this big movement that's happening with digital art and these NFT marketplaces that is concerning for me because it's so much of it is about these leaderboards and and how much a piece sells for. And then recently there was an article that talked about the top NFT artists and and the bullet points were... Instagram followers price the piece sold for in city and that they lived in. And so it just kind of goes against a lot of what I'm trying to do, right? Mm-hmm. The subject matter. And so, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling here, but for me... No, no, I think what you're saying is exactly right, right? Because all of those things are about the art, like metadata about the art and not the actual art itself. It's It's about the price of the painting or where the artist was from or whatever. But it's not about the actual art, which to me is kind of shows you that it's more sort of self-absorbed or narcissistic or like kind of meaningless almost rather than about the piece and what feelings it's, it's evoking or what purpose it has or what it's actually representing. That to me is the more, you know, and I think you would agree that that's the more important part of the piece, whereas all these other things are have sort of taken stage, center stage, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Especially with Bitcoin related art. For other crypto art, maybe less so, but if this movement is about the people, right, and not influencer types who are controlling, then yeah, even more so. And I think there is something to be said for artists that have big followings that do work like a bowl in the in the Bitcoin symbol because they bring more recognition to the space, maybe not really deeply, but if more people are are now turning to it than otherwise wouldn't, that might be a good thing, but it can also lead to, you know, more price fluctuations if all of a sudden they're investing because the subject matter of the work that got them into, into it was related to price. So I like trying to teach about Bitcoin through the work so that people will want to stay around longer for reasons that I think are what it's all about. And yeah, so some artists are really great at doing that. And then others may just be at that stage where for them it is price related and you know, more power to them. Some people have different likes and you know, to each their own. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've noticed about this space, at least with the artists, is that 
I like your art because it's trying to push us to sort of like another level, right? Like of of understanding what this is all about. But there are other artists that just seem to sort of almost exploit the Bitcoin community. You know what? I'm just going to put a Bitcoin symbol or a QR code on this piece of art. And like the piece of art actually has absolutely nothing to do with Bitcoin. It's just something that, you know, maybe they already had created for some other purpose. It's just sort of like, let's market to this community and see if they'll buy my stuff, that sort of thing. And that to me is just, it's a very sort of cynical way of looking at it, I suppose. But that's kind of off-putting to me when I see something like that. I feel like I have. I mean, do you see that? Yeah, definitely. You know, it's something that I just, I'm glad for some exposure for Bitcoin regardless, you know, but I think it's going to happen a heck of a lot more too. I think we're still so early that we're going to see the Alec monopolies of the Bitcoin world, just much bigger names because as Bitcoin is considered more the go-to currency, it breeds people that just plain like currency. And and so artists will be part of that. And yeah, it kind of comes with the territory. Hmm. Yeah, but going back to sort of like this idea of art that sort of looks inward versus one that's looking forward or outward or something like that. I see your art and I see it as sort of getting people to see things a little differently and like get them maybe more oriented towards Bitcoin. And for that reason, I think it's very valuable. Other art, though, it's very inward looking, isn't it? Like that seems to be sort of like a symptom of the culture that we're in. And Art to me is commentary on the culture in many ways. And if that's the case, then we kind of live in a sick society and it might be Fiat's fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree. I chalk it up as growing pains. What's difficult with it is that if it is heavily influencer based and that's the main focus, and the artists are more worried about growing their followers and just more the marketing aspect of it and less like what the movement is all about, then it goes back to that. Well, what is the message that they're spreading? And if it is more just greed and money, and those are the type of people that enter the space as a result of their work, that could result in people not doing well financially, like in the last 24 hours when we've had a big dip, if they decide that they need to get out because for them, it's just about money. So if through the art, we can explain, you know, why this is important and figure out ways to do it where it captures people's attention in today's world where it's it's difficult. And that's something that I struggle with too, is I want people to learn about it. And But, you know, it's, it's kind of like, is it was a Sabo that talked about the blockchain being like amber, where it just hardens and gets the layers over time. Mm-hmm. That's sort of how I see people's attempts at trying to understand Bitcoin too. There's this layer of VCon and there's this layer of politics and there's layer of just trying to grok mining and then just tech in general and all these things that if at a glance they see art that's related to it, but it's not easy to digest for them, they may just turn away. And and so something that was pretty eye-opening for me was in 2016, I had an exhibit down at Digital Garage in San Francisco, which is like an incubator mm-hmm. for uh, Bitcoin-related startups. And I had this United Nodes dollar piece up and there was just a sign that was out front. And so for several months, people that went next door to get some food and came in with their ice cream cone and just wandered around. And that dollar piece was by far the one that they gravitated toward. And and what I got from it was that people just are anchored in what they already know. And so it was 
a way of easing them into discussions about Bitcoin because they were familiar with it. Like people like money and, and they already knew the imagery. So they would sit there and, and not say anything. And then eventually I would go up to them and be like, hey, and, and they would say, so this is Bitcoin related art. And I could, and once they found out that, yes, that's what I was doing, I could see their posture just change because they became so much more relaxed and felt that I was the guy that they can talk to about this thing that their cousin who they went to for all their iCloud questions <laughs> would talk over their head about, right? Mm. So anchoring the art in something that they already understood stuck with me. And so that I think also in explaining it to them, I found like in that exhibit, and I talked to like literally thousands of people because it was probably a dozen a day and I was there for seven plus months. And I found that what was best for describing it was just finding out what their interests were, right? And things that they were already familiar with. And then using that uh, as the basis for how to describe it. So if they were into like stand-up comedy, right? It was like, okay, well, here's why it's important from a deplatforming perspective. So yeah, so it was really important for me to have that time because I got to just practice and see what people took to and it helped guide my work. And then it really inspired this uh, latest thing that I've been doing with the, the billboards because I needed something to do for the back of the piece, which I finished recently. And I thought, you know, why not just do that same thing? Like people reacted well to that front side of the dollar. And so let's just run it back and do it again and try to go bigger <laughs> with it. Oh, nice. Yeah. And that's something that I really appreciate about your art. You take a lot of symbols and you just sort of like manipulate them just a little bit so that they're still recognizable, but in a way that they'd never thought of. And and this is something that I read about recently and something that I experienced when I was trying to learn how to draw, like reading this book, How to Draw from the Right Side of the Brain, I think it was. But one of the things that I was reading some commentary on the book, and, and basically the guy was saying, well, the reason why most people can't draw isn't their technical ability. It's that they don't see properly. And they don't see properly because sort of symbols get in the way. So when you're drawing like somebody's eyes, for example, you tend to put ovals there instead of actually drawing what is there. And the reason why you draw an oval is because that's what your mind thinks an eye should look like. The symbol mm. kind of gets in the way of you actually seeing what's actually there. What I find interesting about your art and is you take those symbols and make it represent something else. And I've seen this in a lot of your pieces, like the one that sold for the least amount, I think, on Lightning, for example. You took like little pieces of the dollar and you're taking other symbols and you're sort of like flipping that on its head and using the symbols to represent something else and saying, you know what, it doesn't, for me, at least the way it speaks to me is, it doesn't have to be this way. There's a reality behind this that you really need to go and look deeper on. So that to me is why it is so effective and why for me, it's actual art instead of something that's sort of like navel gazing, you know, narcissistic, sick, you know, degenerate art that, you know, I've come to hate so much. Yeah. And that really was a function of two things. One, mm -hmm. for the mediums, just trying to make it as palatable as possible for people and, and going back to what I was referencing earlier and having it be something that they already were familiar with. So when I was doing the bank logos that were reimagined for Bitcoin and putting them on ATMs, it was that, you know, trying to get them to do a double take and see, okay, well, what that's not the 
Bank of America logo, but what's going on here and why does it say like check out Bitcoin? It was meant to to grab them, right? And then for the repurposing of these materials itself, it was more like out of anger to want to use that which these institutions have been holding up and, and using against us and throw it back at them to teach about this new movement that's going to put them under. And so that's really powerful for me. It's almost like when you watch an action movie and then the bad guy drops the weapon and then and then the other guy picks it up and, and goes after him with it. And it's a emotional scene for the viewer. Like I, for simplicity's sake, it's why not? So people get that it's about this new era. Why not use the tools that are working against them? And I... Yeah. And then there's also, it's kind of fascinating how like they represent the status quo, which is abundance and not scarce, but the materials themselves will soon be scarce. If we're going all cash or excuse me, if we're going all digital, you know, these items, which will no longer be here, will then become more scarce, even though the space that they represent is not. And to use that to teach about this new era, I think is, is interesting. Mm. Yeah, I'm seeing a lot of parallels here between sort of like your startup experience and like how you approach art, which is a little bit different, honestly, than I think other artists that I've talked to, which is that you're very much into seeing what works or what speaks to your audience. And that's good advice, by the way, for any startup person is go find out what your customers want and talk to them early, not late. And that seems to be how you sort of like came into sort of the voice that you have now with the pieces that you make, how much of that has influenced your art and what other ways has your, you know, previous career as a salesperson, you know, influence what you're doing now? Gosh, so I think I just have a good handle on what resonates with people and knowing that, that things need to be easy to digest and, simplified if it's going to make them want to take a closer look and ultimately take action. So I think it works well for activism art. With the sales stuff, it's just helped in general because I went from doing like a commission-only gig where I had to sell attorneys on this software that they couldn't even try first. And so it bred not really taking no for an answer. And so I think just artists in general, if they know that there's really nothing to lose because they always say there's no rules in art. So why not like the first conference that I went to or showed work at, they didn't respond to me because it just wasn't a thing. There, there wasn't art at the crypto conferences or the Bitcoin conferences. And so they were coming to town. I just showed up with the work. And I think that was, you know, indicative of you know, some of the chutzpah that you needed to, <laughs> with sales, right? So you just mm-hmm. make it happen. And that's something that I think resonates with Bitcoiners too, because we're the underdogs here. We're up against the most powerful people in the world. And so it fits that you need to just make stuff happen. And there's a lot of people in the space that won't take no for an answer. That's why I really like a lot of the people that are involved because they know that that we've got a long road ahead and everyone has this common goal. And yeah, so the biz dev and the sales stuff, I would use like creative ways to be successful in those gigs too. I think that wasn't really what I was meant to do. It was just what I could, what I had to do in order to afford to live in San Francisco. And mm-hmm. so it was that startup though, like I was making a consumer product that was related to scarcity. And so scarcity was on the mind. There was going to be these, it was these collectible items, it was basically like a physical version 
of a social network. So I was making like these lockets that you can update with an app and tell people why you were wearing a particular locket. And it was inspired by MySpace's top eight. And so this idea of why you would care so much for which brands or people you are representing on your page. And and I thought if I could just make that into a product, then the product would do well because the social networks were doing so well. And so scarcity was big. And I've always been interested in in why people take action and what makes them take action. And inspirations for me are, in addition to activist artists, people like Edward Bernays, who was Sigmund Freud's nephew, and he was the father of PR and some of the tactics that he would take in order to get people to move. So yeah, just the way that the human mind works and why people do what they do is is intriguing to me. And I try and and use it for good with the work because there's a lot of negativity with Bitcoin out there, especially early on when there was so much pushback with different topics like energy and the dark markets and whatnot. The goal is to get people to pay attention and then get people to see the opposite side of it and hopefully counteract some of that negativity that we're luckily seeing less of nowadays. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like you kind of got that, you know, Bitcoin is kind of permissionless. So you, of course, show up to a a conference (laughs) with a bunch of your art. So uh, yeah, that that totally resonates with a lot of Bitcoiners that you don't really need permission, you just kind of do your thing. But I want to go a little bit broader here, because art definitely affects culture and culture, of course, affects art. In what ways do you think art is sort of negative in culture right now versus, you know, positive. What are some ways in which art as it exists, you know, I mean, like you posted about like the, you know, duct tape banana on a wall or something like that, that went for a lot of money, like stuff like that, I think kind of shows, you know, where the culture is at, you know, what are some ways in which art is, you know, sort of good for civilization right now or bad for civilization right now? I think... If we are now all having our finances sapped by this financial system and then our attention spans sapped by these increasing tricks that the social networks are doing to keep us involved, art, I think, is necessary because a picture says a thousand words and it can be used because it grabs people and it grabs their attention and it can be used for good or bad, you know, like Bitcoin. So if we're now living in a world where you only have so much time to get a message across and more and more the messages are accompanied by imagery, then, you know, I think art can be used to really sum up and get to the root of why something is worth paying attention to. And, you know, it goes back to the memes, right? I think we're doing well with pushing Bitcoin forward because of memes. And it's hard really to define a meme, but yeah, it's it's necessary because of where we're at now with people's attention. And and that's just every day it's it's worse and worse. You know, I just saw like with the update with Reddit, they now do the thing where you can see when the they, they fake like when a new comment has come in, so that you see it it rotate from seven comments to eight, so that you then just like look over because you saw some movement, right? And so, Mm. yeah, I think we're going to need good art and and good imagery to be able to summarize things that are going on because, yeah, we're just now online so much and, and everyone is so much coming at them that people that can, that are good at 
summarizing and getting messages across in a succinct manner are going to be more important. Well, it's interesting that you put like design and UX elements as sort of like examples of bad art. I never really thought of it that way. Like, is that something that you think is like an evil use of like getting people addicted or something like that? Is that what it is? Yeah, I think it does a lot of harm, you know, just in general, if especially when it's not true, right? Like, I don't think that's what's happening. It started early on. I think the earliest example I heard of was airline industry pretending that they were searching for your flight and it took 30 seconds when really it didn't need to take 30 seconds, right? And it it gave this idea that they were really combing the entire net to get you the best price. That's a slippery slope in my eyes. And and if I'm now spending more time, you know, just on my phone because there's these little tricks that are being played to keep me on there when I I don't need to be and I could be off. They're robbing me of my time, as like Breedlove would say, it's like our most valuable resource, right? They're figuring out more ways to rob people of their time. So yeah, it's, it's something that it's getting more sophisticated and it is concerning because I don't think, you know, it's one of these things where in moderation, you know, I just got back on Twitter after getting the boot and it made me look at it in a different way. It made me appreciate decentralization a lot more, but also just the feeling of, it was a freeing feeling <laughs> when, I, when I wasn't allowed back in. That's it, interesting. Why did it feel freeing? Because, I mean, I am addicted to it. There's level of addiction, right? So I don't think I'm as bad as others. And when people use the word addicted, they automatically think the worst. But I do spend a good amount of time on Twitter. I think a lot of people in this space do. And so by not being allowed in there, it was like this relief. It was like, okay, well, I don't have to like worry about whether or not this post is doing well. And it also opened up the creative floodgates. It was, it made me think, okay, if this is permanent, then how am I going to go about my career in a different way? And I love that. Like anytime there's like a freedom from that which you're forced into. And with Twitter, it's, you know, certain dimensions with the photos and you're only allowed so many. And then your video is only this amount of length. And then of course the character limit and all these things. If if you have to approach it in a different manner, then it really gets the wheels turning. And and so I actually, I loved it. I, I thought, okay, if, if this is permanent, then this next project that's coming up, I'll do like a pop-up and every new piece from this here on out will have its own profile. And it got me just like think in a different way, which which I like. But I don't know, we're, we're getting a little, a little off topic. No, no, I don't think so. I think this is actually at the heart of what is going on. Because in a sense, I think what you're arguing is that art has been used to distract us all for long periods of time. And that obviously brings up the question, why are they distracting us? Hmm. What, well, what do you mean by it? Well, I mean, in a sense, you know, we're given, I mean, Twitter is just the latest in a long line of things, you know, it used to be TV and before that it was radio and so on. It, it's, you know, I mean, aren't these bread and circuses, right? Like to mm-hmm. keep us from rioting essentially. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. So that, and that's a lot of overlap with politics and especially just right now with what's going on with the deplatforming with Twitter, mm. with powerful people. Yeah, I mean, it's scary times, man. I think 
we're going to see a completely different landscape five, 10 years from now. And I think it is good that what happened with uh, Donald Trump occurred because it's forcing people to take action. And regardless of what where you stand politically, I think people can see how deplatforming can lead to worse. And I think we have a good example of that with what's happening in, in China. And and so if, if the net result of this is that we're going to have other people working away on different options, great. You know, and I think what we're seeing, this hopefully is it, right? Because there's been other attempts where some people go back to Mastodon, myself included, where you start posting on there, but the network effect is just so strong, right? And so essentially like what they're doing is it's like, they're like drug dealers. They're giving us these little dopamine hits for in exchange for our time. And it's tough to break from that. But I think there needs to be better options out there. And I recognize the complexity of trying to do it in a decentralized manner. It's, it's not a not easy task. Yeah, it's interesting because at least the way I like from what I've read about like sort of high end art and what's going on, like deplatforming is a giant issue because you know, they say like, you know, the great artists are always or the, the artists that the art magazines want to promote, they'll write a good review for. And if it's like, you know, if it's somebody that they want to still kind of promote, they'll write like a review. But the people that don't get in there at all, those are the people that they are really rejecting. It's a form of deplatforming. And I mean, from what I understand, like, high-end art or the entire art world. It's all about branding and making sure that you know the right people and you don't piss off the people that might be your patron and all that. And in a sense, that sort of dynamic is playing out in a larger sphere like Twitter and so on. In a sense, I suppose we're all artists to, in some way, including people like Donald Trump. Like, where does this head? I mean, I imagine as an artist, you've thought about that quite a bit. And you just told us that you felt the significant amount of freedom, like sort of being off of Twitter and not having to comply with their rules. What sort of advice would you have for, I guess, the listeners of this podcast that are thinking about, you know, what's coming with deplatforming? We might very well get deplatformed. You know, what do we do next? How do we think like an artist that's trying to still spread the message? Yeah. So I would look at the Bitcoin protocol for, for advice. I told you I, I have artists in my family. And one of the things that I saw, what, and going back to the trusted third parties being security holes in, in Sabo again, it's the more that you can take on yourself and not have to rely on others and, and not trust. And I think the better. And I've had incidents happen as an artist where I wish I didn't rely on others and did more on my own. And I think that can be said for other people as well in this space. And so, you know, I had family members who, for instance, they would just like randomly get a check in the mail and they had to just trust that this is what the piece sold for. (laughs) And, and there's other nefarious things going on too, right? Like if work sells at an exhibit, the dealer might just hold the money and use it to fund another artist's exhibit before paying you and things that when I saw that along with just going to some of the shows and and some of the people involved and it being a very CNBC and crowd, it just didn't resonate with me. And so I saw the Bitcoin art as like a fresh start in a new space where there was, that wasn't happening. And so I wanted to do everything that I could to just mimic like the protocol, right? Like 
not have to rely on other people and, and do the work myself. And yes, it meant more work, but nowadays the artist is just doing a lot of the work on their own anyway with the social media promotion. And there's less reliance uh, on the dealers, even though they're taking this 40, 50% cut. And so I had to go it alone because there wasn't a dealer that would represent me early on. No one really understood Bitcoin. I didn't have a, a reputation, but as I just kept going, it was like, Hey, this is kind of nice. I could do what I want when I want, you know, like Bitcoin and just keep that path. And so anytime where you have other products involved or platforms, there's risk. And so I experienced it too, with trying to just taking the time to sell my work on other platforms, or even early on the first ETH based like NFT marketplace or just verifiably rare art. I did like Bitcoin related art on it because I knew that that's where the direction of the rare art was going. And I want to kind of like put a stamp and say, Hey, you know, Bitcoin, we started this with, with rare Pepe's. And so just people would see like the, the Bitcoin related art, but then that marketplace is now gone and, and no one even references it. And so I relied on them for, to show my work and, you know, granted stuff happens obviously, but people don't even like recognize the type of token that it is, you know, it's all now these latest NFTs. And so when you, when you trust that these other people to show your work and, and to promote it, you're just risking a lot. And I've had multiple instances where it's happened, where I've, I've now just decided that I don't need the money that would come from potentially using these other marketplaces and, and selling work for a good chunk. If, if it means that another occurrence will happen where I feel bad about how it ended up, right? So eventually I think there's going to be more happening with Bitcoin art. I'm trying to work sort of behind the scenes to make that happen. And I'm hoping that'll mean being less reliant on others. Because for me, being unbeholden to people and to be able to just think up something and go soup to nuts and, and get it out there, there's just like nothing else like it. It's so, I just feel really blessed to be able to do it. Hmm. That's awesome. And the fact that, you know, you have a and uh, sort of like you have a zeal about Bitcoin that like drives your art. And I think that's awesome because I think what's often lacking in a lot of a lot of the art that I've seen is that it lacks purpose. It's sort of like navel gazing and narcissistic, like I've said. So, all right. All that said, how do you think Bitcoin as it becomes more prominent and you have sort of like cultural change that goes from short time or low time or high time preference to low time preference. How do you think that changes art itself? Like what kind of, what sort of things can we expect to see change? Yeah. Well, we've already seen it just in the span of Bitcoin's existence and, and even just this NFT space, right? Where mm -hmm. you can't just put up a static work. It needs to it needs to move. And then now there's there's NFTs with audio. And I think it's cool. There's a lot of really amazing work that's out there. But I think it speaks to people just wanting more interaction and more going on in general. Like we're, we need more to pay attention. So like personally, it's been challenging because I'll put like a lot of effort into a piece and have the subject matter and, and have the message that I want to get across. And then I don't want to necessarily change it so that it's like animated if I think it'll make more money because that's what NFTs like, right, are doing right now. If making it so there's some motion involved is the focus and it's not really like the, the message behind the work, 
as it originally stood, then it's just sort of like a cop out for me. I think there's going to be more like tribalism. And this goes back to what we were talking about earlier with just people not recognizing these really early digitally rare platforms. And it is because a lot of the artists just want to be seen as the pioneers. And so they'll just turn a blind eye to the stuff that was done before them. And with that, you know, like Ethereum, for instance, they're oftentimes they won't even like recognize like the rare Pepe movement. (laughs) And and I mean, it was a, a fun project and not really the most serious attempt but it was groundbreaking, right? And so mm. people inherently want to feel like they're early adopters and artists especially, because it is still early with this cryptocurrency art. They want to feel like they were the first. And so oftentimes you'll see them touting that, I, you know, I did the first blankety blank and it's kind of like this construed, you know, whatever it was in order to make sure that they were the first to do it. And people just in general like to be early. And so at the expense of not recognizing the earlier projects. Yeah, I can see this sort of taking hold even more. And there's, you know, it's no surprise that ETH people like ETH art more than than Bitcoin people. And so there is this divide coming. I think as more develops with uh, Bitcoin platforms, we're going to see this division and that's something to pay attention to. And it's, I think it will mean that crypto art is further defined as blank and then bitcoin art is further defined as blank yeah at least the bitcoiners that i speak to they tend to gravitate more towards i guess provably interesting or hard to create things so you know like drawing a portrait or something like that that actually takes skill and there's like proof of work there whereas you know jackson pollock painting you can make in five minutes with a bunch bunch of paintbrushes or something like that. So I've noticed that Bitcoiners tend to gravitate more towards the stuff that has a little more proof of work. I don't know if you have thoughts on that. Yeah. And I, I think it also goes back to using the, the protocol as a guide, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, they tend to recognize when there has been work put into something. And when you go the digital route, it's it's less obvious because maybe there's more filters involved. and, and But there's still like amazing work, right? And I, I do think that there's a lot of skepticism with the whole digital space, but in general, you're right. Like if there's thought that's been put into something and obviously time invested, that tends to resonate as it should. Hmm. All right. So uh, yeah, we've talked about a lot today. Where can people find you and your work? I don't think you can see me right now because we're only recording a podcast, but I am actually wearing a shirt that you designed, which is the Bitcoin Carnivory Club one (laughs) with with the tagline in the back, you know, we like our money and our stake the same way, rare, right? Like, and that to me, like speaks brilliantly to kind of what you do and how you sort of get people to ask the right questions. I was at the climbing gym today wearing a mask so no one really recognized me and people were asking me about this shirt. So that speaks to sort of like the effect that good art can have, which is to get people to think. So where can people find you? Hopefully at another one of those steak dinners soon. Um, (laughs) Online, cryptography, tough to spell, C-R-Y-P-T-O-G-R-A-F-F-I-T-I on all the socials, cryptography.com. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jimmy. All right. 
Well, that wraps it up for this episode of Bitcoin Fixes This. Cryptography D can be found at, at Cryptography D on Twitter and CryptographyD.com. Until next time, fiat de la best.